Hamlet's famous monologue of to be or not to be, that is the question. Uh, that's kind of the, the kickoff point, that question of the next few weeks, to be or not to be. We start a new year, and different people had different uh, habits and traditions. Some people like to do uh, New Year's resolutions. Some people like to, I think, I'm pretty sure, some people, their tradition is to break New Year's resolutions. And so then they become just sort of a joke. Uh, as we look at it in faith, we really don't want it to be that way. We don't want it to be uh, just a, I'm going to make a promise that I have no intention of keeping, and I'll do this for two or three weeks, and then we'll try again next year. We want to follow the words of Jesus. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And anything less, Jesus says, is of the devil. Have you ever thought about your word that way? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And anything less is of the devil. That's what he said. Now, there's some pressure for your New Year's resolutions, isn't it? But really, that's the way it ought to be. That when I commit myself to do something, that I am not just making a statement of, well, I hope to but that it is a statement of, I will. Uh, the real question that we wrestle with and the thing that really gets us the most is how deep is our resolve? How deep is our commitment to whatever it is that, that it, we need to be growing in, becoming better in, uh, really buckling down and becoming true disciples of Jesus in? We all know kind of what those things are for ourselves, uh, but we also know that often we treat them like New Year's resolutions. And so then they just kind of fall off after a couple of weeks. And whether that is um, a, a deeper relationship in your time with God each day, whether that's through reading or prayer or whatever, or whether that is overcoming a particular uh, struggle that you're having, and that may be just feelings of inadequacy or insufficiency, or that may be uh, sin problems that you're dealing with, temptations you're trying to overcome. We never want to approach those the way that a lot of people approach resolutions, like they're optional and just a cute thing to do at the beginning of the year. We need to see those with the same depth of wrestling and questioning that Hamlet asked his question with. Am I going to do this or not? Do I continue on or not? What am I going to do? More importantly, what am I going to be? So that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. And we're going to look at passages, as I mentioned earlier, where God calls us to be something. Uh, and, and I think it's interesting because we don't, we like to think that, that we, we really can't just decide to be. We have to, you know, it has to somehow be either genetic or, or the Holy Spirit has to actually just push us into it. And yet that's really not true. One of the ways in which we are created in the image of God is that like God, who can speak things that are not as though they are, we can look into our own life, we can look into our own heart, we can look into our own mind and our own will, and when we know something is not what it ought to be, we can start speaking as though it is until it is. I don't know if you realize that in Christ you have that power, but you do. It is a lie of Satan that you look at yourself and say, well, that's just the way I am, and that's just all I'll ever be. It's a lie of Satan. He's the only one who ever wanted you to believe that. God has always told you that you are more and can be more than you already are. He has shown you in his word a billion times, it seems, that you can be 
what you are not now. And yet we tell ourselves all the time, no, we can't. We say stupid things like, well, old dogs can't learn new tricks. To which my response for a long time, about 30 years at this point, has been, and aren't you glad God didn't create you a dog then? Because you may be an old person, but you ain't an old dog, and therefore the law does not apply. You can learn new tricks. The people in their older years that I, are, I admire the most are not those who never change, but those who continue to grow. Those who do not let age fool them into thinking that they've done all their changing and they've done all their growing and they've done all their improving. Because that's just what Satan wants you to think. It is not your reality in Christ Jesus. He would want you to think, well, that's just the way I am. So this is what we're going to look at, some things like that. Turn in your Bibles first to First Chronicles 28, <coughs> verse 8 is where we'll start in a minute. But first, I want to share this. You may have seen this in the 80s on the back of a T-shirt. That's where I saw it first. Late 80s, early 90s. I'm pretty sure it was late 80s. I think I was still in high school. And I always thought it was kind of a cool T-shirt. To be or not to be. Of course, that's Hamlet and Shakespeare. To be is to do. And that's Sartre. Or a few of these are attributed to different people, depending on where you buy your shirt. Because, you know, people repeat ideas. Um, To do is to be. And that's uh, Bertrand Russell, unless it's Plato or Aristotle or Socrates, and all of these can be kind of shaken up and play that game. And then my favorite one of all, Doobie Doobie Doo by Frank Sinatra. Actually, my favorite is Yabba Dabba Doo by Fred uh, Fred Flintstone, (coughs) or uh, Scooby Dooby Doo by Scooby. So I like all of those. They're all great. Those are the last three are my philosophers. I think you know that already, don't you? Uh, I know the others. I know what they said, but Scooby probably taught me more. Uh, for better or for worse. That's that's just you can decide for yourselves, right? This one is another saying, and I learned this one in around 1991. I could take you. It's so funny because I had to look up where it came from, and nobody's really quite entirely sure. Uh, whoever was credited with it uh, on the bulletin board where I first saw it actually didn't make it up, and I can't remember their name anyway, so that's fine. Uh, but I could take you back to where I was, Albany Church of Christ in the in the uh, foyer, standing in front of the bulletin board, and right about there on the bulletin board was a little yellow post-it note, and a friend of mine named Dan had a habit of putting quotes that he liked. Every week he'd bring a new one, he'd put it up on the bulletin board. This one ended up staying on there for a very long time because people liked it so much, and I really had to chew on it because it kind of goes against sometimes what not everybody, but what some of you may have been taught. And so we're going we're gonna to look at it. I'll read it. You are as likely to act yourself into a way of thinking as to think yourself into a way of acting. You could also say it this way, and I've seen it this way too. You are as likely to do yourself into a way of thinking as to think into yourself into a way of doing. Either way, doesn't matter. It's the same idea goes back to, and I actually like that this is the earliest, they don't think that they came up with it, but the earliest recorded instance is in 1930 in a Sunday school convention, a uh, set of notes after the convention at this Sunday school convention in Nebraska. I think it's good. I like that that's where the first documented one is because there's this, something of a Christian idea in this, but you may have been taught the opposite. You may have been taught that, you know, if you don't, if you don't feel it, 
then somehow that's less than honest. You know, you're going to do a good, let's just say uh, you're going to go feed somebody who is hungry. But you're mad at that person. You don't really like them. And you, you, you still actually need to work through some forgiveness toward that person. And so you don't, you know they're hungry and you know they need it, but man, I still really don't like them. And I don't think it would be right for me to go and help them when I don't really feel it in my heart. You may have been taught that that's the right way to think. That if you don't yet feel it in your heart, that you shouldn't go ahead and do it because somehow that's hypocrisy. And what I'm going to tell you this morning is whoever told you that was wrong. Maybe not intentionally, but they were wrong. Because the truth is we are often called to do things that are the right thing to do. And there's an implied in Scripture quite often, whether you like it or not. It really doesn't matter if you feel it yet or not. And what I like about this is it kind of gives you the freedom. It gives you the mindset to say, and that's all right. I don't have to feel everything that I would in an ideal world, in an altruistic setting where this is the way I would feel every time I wanted to do the right thing. And so, you know, yes, I'm going to go and I'm going to in there. I'm going to feel the forgiveness I need to give that person. I'm going to feel just the niceness of wanting to help them out with a meal. And it's all just going to be good. Well, that's not always going to happen. And then if you pile guilt on top of that and say, well, you, you're just extra guilty because you didn't feel it. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because it would either be everybody in here or almost everybody with a few liars holding their hand down. You've been in that position where you have done the right thing, you didn't feel it, and then you live the next week instead of praising God that you did the right thing despite your feelings. You browbeat yourself for not feeling enough and doing the right thing. So then the next time the opportunity came up, you didn't do it at all because the last time you didn't feel it, you didn't want to feel guilty for the next week for not feeling it. You see how the devil got you? You see how his lies work? He lies, he manipulates to get you to not do the right thing. First, by telling you, well, you know, if you don't feel it 100%, it doesn't count 100%. And so then you end up doing 0% eventually. It's a trick. It's a trick. Let this become a part of your life where you understand, okay, maybe I don't feel it today, but I'm going to do it today. It's the right thing. It's the right way to treat people. It's the right way to love. And so I'm going to do it. Feel it. Don't feel it. That's not the point. Sometimes faithful obedience to God is doing what you know what you need to do, whether you felt it or not, whether you enjoyed it or not. You know, if you need that as an excuse, well, I'll get it done quickly because I don't enjoy it. That's fine, too. Do that. Do the right thing. And don't worry about whether or not your heart is there yet. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you're trying to fool people into thinking that you are living a faith you're not actually living. So hypocrisy might be telling everybody you're so Christian that you don't do anything you don't feel. You see how he got you? He just gets us, doesn't he? It's like satanic jujitsu, the little manipulations he does. Uh, it just It's crazy. That's what he does. So our passage, let's go to this, and you'll, we'll see some more ways that all of this kind of fits together and fits in. The first one. There we go. It'll work here in a second. Is verse 8. And this is in the NIV. It's, it's the wording that I know the best and the longest for this passage today. Uh, 1 Chronicles 28. 
in, in verses 8 through 10 is David giving Solomon the instructions for the temple that God is going to have built. Now, you remember, David is the one who wanted to build the temple. This was all his idea. It's Solomon's temple as we know it, but it was David's idea. But David couldn't do it. David had too much blood on his hands. God said, I can't let you do it, uh, but I'll let your son do it. And so Solomon is the one who is given this task. David, in this setting, is now before all the people giving to Solomon God's plans for the temple and handing him the responsibility. This is an incredible moment because it is a, the passing of uh, the passing of a baton sounds a little too light for all this, but it is. It is the passing of the baton from David to Solomon for the responsibility of building the temple. And in this moment, David is going to teach, David is going to bless, and David is going to challenge. Uh, parents, pay attention to what he does. Because this is a father to a son giving on a spiritual legacy. And look at the way that he does this. Grandparents, pay attention. You all have opportunities to do this with your kids and with your grandkids. Uh, older brothers and sisters to younger brothers and sisters within the church. Uh, there are going to be times where you're going to hand off the role in a family or you're going to hand off the teaching of a Sunday school class. Or you're going to hand off a responsibility as a, a servant or as an elder or as a preacher or as whatever. And when you do, let's do it this well. Look at what David says. Verse 8. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and the hearing of our God. Be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God. Now, this was actually not in my outline until this morning. And I said, and why am I skipping this one? The B that's right here. So obvious. Why am I skipping that? This is foundational. So I'm telling you this one before I get to the real one that we're doing today. This one is so important. Be careful to follow. It's not just be careful. I think it's very important. We don't cut that off too soon. It's not just be careful. It's be careful to follow. Some people can, I don't know how to grammatically say this, some people can be careful so much that they never accomplish what God called them to do. They're too careful. That's not what he said. He said be careful to follow. And to follow what? When you're teaching your kids and when you're teaching your grandkids, what are you teaching them that they need to follow? Who are you teaching them that they need to follow? Because it's not us, it's not one another, it's not mom or dad even, it's who? Be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God, that you may possess the land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. He says to Solomon, if this is supposed to work the way it's supposed to work, then this great nation and this great land will only pass through your hands on to the next generation. So before Solomon even takes responsibility, David is already saying, and it's your responsibility to hand it off to the next and to the next and to the next. And that is done by being careful to listen to what God says and to do what God calls you to do. Be careful and follow all the commands that the Lord your God is going to give you. So that's the foundation of everything from David to Solomon. And then we go on to the next passage. And that should say 9 and 10, but it doesn't down at the bottom. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father. This is the next step. Acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. This is key. If you want to be 
a man or a woman of God who does not just leave a memory but actually leaves a legacy. There's a huge difference between memory and legacy. Memory is a story that you tell, but it dies after a generation or two. Legacy is something that lives on from generation to generation to generation and is not just talked about, but is actually done. You see the difference between memory and legacy? Memory is talked about. Legacy is lived and done. And how does he tell Solomon that's going to happen? Right here. First, you start by acknowledging who is your father. <laughs> I'm sorry. I do hear the, the old billboard that used to be for, uh, there was some clinic in Dallas, and it was up for years, and it, it was for uh, DNA testing. This is bad. And it said, who's your daddy? That's, I'm, I just flashed through my mind. All of a sudden, I'm down the interstate over in Dallas. Who's your daddy? Okay, acknowledge who your father is. Aren't you glad you know? Literally, maybe even. Aren't you glad you know? And aren't you glad that it's God, your father? Because he's not saying acknowledge David. He's saying acknowledge God, your father. And acknowledge is not just intellectual assent. In the way you live, show who your father is. In the way you treat people, show who your father is. In the way that you love and serve and have compassion, even when you don't feel it, acknowledge who your father is. When you're wrestling between two bits of wisdom and maybe even some false wisdom, acknowledge who God is and go with his. Acknowledge the God of your father. Serve him with wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. Have you ever noticed that God uses not the people who are the smartest, not the people who are the most talented, not the people who are the wealthiest, the most powerful, or anything else? Who does he use? He uses the ones who are willing and who are open to his will. And will follow him. That's it. The willing. That's pretty easy to be, isn't it? You don't have to worry about a resume. It's a condition of the heart. Are you willing? Are you willing? Well, the Lord searches every heart. This is actually the part of the passage that caught my attention the first time about 30 years ago when I went, how come we never read this? And still, it's a fairly unknown passage to most Christians. But I love this part. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. That little part first. The Lord knows what? Every heart and understands every desire and every thought. How many in this room could honestly say they understand every one of their thoughts, desires, and their heart. You know exactly why you do everything you do without question. Anybody? No. Because how many times did your parents, how many times has your spouse, how many times have your co-workers said, well, why'd you do that? And what was your answer? I don't know. I, know. I hate that answer. I just Don't you hate that answer? I especially hate it when it's come out of somebody else's mouth. It's fine when it comes out of mine. But that's just honest, right? No, I hate that. I hate it when it's me and, and somebody says, why'd you do that? I don't know because that just drives me a little nuts. Why would we not know? We made a decision. So you would have to know why you made that decision. And, and I, you'll have people tell you and sometimes it'll come out of your own mouth. 
Yeah, but I don't know. What is that? Now, you could see this as scary, but I don't think he just means this in an intimidating way. But God knows. Now, you want to get scary. Go home today and pray to the Lord. Lord, would you please show me why I do this? And then actually let him show you. I was at a, a spiritual retreat thing not that long ago, and I've told you all before, I'm not, you're not supposed to disclose all that happens there because of, it ruins the surprise for the next person who goes to the retreat. So I've got to be careful in what I say. Uh, but part of uh, what you, you do at these retreats is you try to find what's holding you back on either growing or dealing with or whatever uh, something in your life. And you do the same thing sometimes in classes or uh, prayer groups, small groups, things like that. Nothing out of the ordinary there. Uh, but it always amazes me that sometimes you will go into an exercise like that and you kind of think you have an idea of what it is that's bothering or you or whatever it is that's, that's holding you back or you might have a, a grasp on even why you think something or why you do something or whatever. And that's not always true. So for myself, going through an exercise, and I won't bore you with all the details, but when I, when I was going through this exercise, every, every step of the way, it surprised me what God was showing me in the process. I was like, well, I know that bothers me, but I didn't know it bothered me that much. And I didn't know at all why this was something that was weighing on me. It was just kind of a burden thing. Why this was weighing on me. I didn't realize it was that. I mean, I know that A and B are true, but I didn't know they ended up to C. I mean, what in the world sort of a thing and an exercise? Uh, if I've just made you overly curious, you can feel free to come and talk to me because I can tell you about it. It's not, that part's not a big deal. But uh, it, it just surprised me each step of the way. There are times we really don't know why we do what we do. And for God to show you, here it is, Here's what it is. Now you go and work on that is nothing but a blessing because you feel like, oh, well, now that makes all the sense in the world. And then you can deal with whatever that is. So I encourage you to do that. Um, if you'd be in, let me just do a little pitch. If you'd be interested in talking about whatever the retreat is, I was just talking about that. And you think, well, I don't know what in the world he said, but I wonder if that's something that could help me. You come talk to me and I'll be glad to share information with you because it is really excellent. But that is something that God needs to do in every one of our lives. He knows why you struggle with what you struggle with. He knows why you feel uh, insufficient or he knows why you struggle with a particular sin or why you cannot seem to forgive so-and-so. He knows all those things. And you may not. You may think you know. I thought I knew. I was wrong. You may think you know. But what God can show you will set you free in ways that you cannot imagine. He will strengthen you in ways you didn't even know that you needed strength in. Because he knows what's in your heart, what's in your mind, and why you do what you do. All those things, they're like Paul in Romans 7. Then we do, I do what I don't even want to do, and what I do want to do, I don't do, and blah, 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 blah. He looks at that, and God can actually look at that run-on sentence and go, makes sense to me, because you know what I know about you? And he will share that with you. That will set you free. And this is one of the things David wanted Solomon to know. 
Solomon was going to need that later because the book of Ecclesiastes is just his layout of what happened to him at his retreat, apparently. <laughs> and let me tell you what I learned. And then when it was all over, you're sitting there going, wow, okay, okay, you had a, you had a lot of work to do. That's, that's that part. I didn't click it, but it was there. Then we get to what I want us to actually look at today, which is this last little bit here in this passage, and that is to be strong, do the work. Those are his last words in this commissioning to build the temple. Solomon, God has chosen you. He knows what's in your heart and your mind. If you seek him, he will always be there for you. Now you turn your back, and he does too. There is a warning. He says, Solomon, be strong. And do the work. Now here's what I want you to do. I'm going to do a couple of different little exercises today. The first one is this. If you need to write it down, write it down. What is it that you know that God had not doesn't have to be big picture. Okay? Don't don't get swamped in this. What does God want you to do? Let's say this week. What's one thing you know God wants? It could be as small as after church and want to run to Walmart and get two more kids a pillow. It could be that small. Okay? Not asking you to dream up the whole next 20 years. This is not an English class exercise. What does God want you to do? Spend some time today. Pray about that. What's holding you back? Ask God to remove it or for the strength to overcome it. Speed bumps have to be driven over sometimes. I did see somebody posted a funny, might have been one of you, posted a funny joke about if they have all this this asphalt for speed bumps, how come they can't put it in any of the potholes? That's a good question. If that's your job, write that one down. That's yours right there. The Lord has called you to be strong and do the pothole work. The what? What's your thing? Is it to strengthen your marriage? Is it to apologize to your child? Is it to forgive? Is it to help somebody? Is it to call and encourage somebody you've been neglecting? What is it? Write it down. Pray over it. And then read these words. Be strong and do the work. Satan wins his most incredible victories by us just thinking about doing and never doing. Be strong and do the work. If it's a hard one, and it could be, if it's a hard one, the instructions don't change. Be strong and do the work. But James, you don't understand how hard it is. Maybe I don't. Maybe I do. I got my own list. Be strong and do the work. Remember, David started with Solomon by reminding him of God first. Why? Because you don't get to be strong and do the work without acknowledging your father. You don't get strong enough to do the work without following what he's called you and commanded you to do and commanded you to be. So be strong and do the work. I want to look at this passage real quick, and uh, it's tied to the one that I read as the call to worship this morning. This is just a few verses later. He says, in him, we were also 
chosen. Remember what he told Solomon? God has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. He's chosen you too. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who are the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Every step you take in being strong and doing the work brings glory to God. Every step is praise. Every step is faith. Every step is victory. Every step is glory to God. This is what he created you for. It's what he chose you for before the creation of the world, we read earlier in Ephesians. Even before the creation of the world, God chose you, every one of you, to bring him glory as you are strong and as you do the work. I know it's about being strong and doing the work because that's Ephesians chapter 4. Same letter, same people, same instructions. It says this is why God has done all of this because he created you to do and to be and to serve and to bring God glory and to grow the kingdom of God, to love and to serve and to encourage one another. So I said there were going to be two exercises. One is you got to go home and you got to figure out what that is. What's the thing I'm supposed to do? The second part of that, 1A and 1B. 1B is, well, be strong and do it. Let's go do it. But here's the second exercise I want you to do. And this is going to be a little bit more of an involvement thing. Uh, if you're, uh, well, I won't even make you stand up because I know what you people are like. You got one more song standing left in you and that's it, right? And then you have to have hot rolls or something. Okay. So, so you can do this sitting down. Uh, if you're, I'll come over to you because you're over there by yourself. We don't want anybody by the, by themselves. To the people that are around you, if you need to uh, tag somebody on a row in front of you or behind you, this is what I want you to do. And I hate it when people do cheesy stuff, so we're going to call this not cheesy. I want you to look at the person, let's say to the right first, okay? Look at the person to your right. And then I want you to repeat after me. I'll come and do this for you, John, because you're right there. See, if there's front row benefits or curses, however you want to say it. I want you to look at the person to your right. And repeat after me. I want you to look at, look at them in, in their eyes, which means you're not looking at me. If I see you looking at me, you're not doing it right. I'm checking. I'm checking. Okay? You can't remember which one's your right? If you look, if you look to your right and it's the back of a head, it's gonna be, isn't it? See what I did there? This is not my gift. This is not my gift. Okay, you say to the person next to you, I don't care who it is. You say to a person next to you, look them in the eye. Again, if you're looking at me and I'm going in the eye, look, 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 look. Yeah, 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 look. You are chosen by God. Be strong and do the work. All right, let's try it again. Some of y'all need practice. Look at them again. Look them in the eye. Okay. Don't stare at their wart. Look them in the eye. All right? You are chosen by God. Be strong and do the work. Okay? Switch people. Look back at your same people. Other person says it to the other one now. Okay? Yeah, y'all do whatever you got to do. All right? We chose it was for that dot. Be strong. It doesn't. Good. Hey, did y'all do it? You are chosen by God. Be strong and do the work. <clears throat> it is. 
Gottfried. Now here's the real challenge. Solomon got at it. It wasn't a cutesy thing he did at church that David did to Solomon. Solomon went and he did the work. And he built the single most magnificent temple in Israel's history. Second only to one. That's the one built in Jesus Christ, which is the church, the temple of God, the people of God, which is your job to build. As we build each other up and encourage each other, you've been chosen by God to do that. You have been chosen to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work.